Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Cool. All right. And welcome back to Micromobility. How are you doing today, Horace? Where are you in the world? Uh, yeah, hi. I'm, I'm, in, uh, I'm back in the Boston area and uh, enjoying a bit of summer here. <laughs> yeah, well... And you, uh, you're, where you are, it isn't obviously summer. So. No, no, middle of winter. Um, enjoying enjoying the, the rain and the cold. The, uh, down here in Wellington in, in New Zealand. Um, it's interesting, though. One of the, one of the small uh, factors that I, I have been very pleasantly surprised to discover is that even in the middle of winter, Wellington launched a scooter, two scooter shares, and they're performing better than most places around the world do in the middle of summer, which makes me very proud in a, in a, in a kind of weird way of the Wellingtonians and their, and their appetite for micromobility. Um, I like to think that I live in a micromobility capital of the world, Horace. Um, but speaking of uh, capitals, I I, uh, I believe you have some new research that you wanted to share with us. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm thinking more and more about about cities and towns and places where micromobility is destined to be. the The interesting thing about this mode in particular is that it is an uh, an urban first uh, um, mo- mo- mode. And and if you think about historically again that that cities were not the homes for for transportation innovation. The problem was the cities were small enough and there were th- ways to get around. Um, the whole idea of a city is to bring people closer together. And, and, and when you didn't have any other option, close meant walking distance. Close meant, uh, yeah, you know, an hour's, wa- an hour's walk. And the, and the, the, the thing about the introduction of new technologies for transportation has been about intercity uh, travel, not intra-city. So intercity, for example, the train, uh, even the carriage, uh, the horse, the 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 stagecoach in the United States, the the uh, canals that were famous networks of of transport pre-industrialization, and then of course uh, ships that travel the oceans. A lot of these innovations were transportation-related, where, where for long distances. And even the car, when it was new, it was a mode for getting around uh, the countryside and, and not so much in the city because the city wasn't built for cars. The cities were too small and, and, and distances were not very interesting to, to a car maker and a car driver. And, and so cars, and you know, the Model T... And the the uh, you know the early European cars as well were were country cars they were country vehicles and so we've only built cities around cars in the last century um, mm-hmm. perhaps even less than a hundred years that we've we've actually architected cities to 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 fit the this this mode and they they have gotten larger. Now, having said that, so in the whole history of humanity, or, or let's start with civilizations, which are probably 5,000 years, we've only had 100 years. Out of 5,000, only 100 have been car-centric. The, right. the, um, 
you know, you, you, if we look ahead 5,000 years, I'm sure we're not going to be thinking about cars. So the, the point about cities, though, is that it forces you to think that, you know, micromobility, given the fact that it's a small vehicle and it's meant to be typically on demand, it's, it's, it's something that makes sense in a city today because distances are smaller than in, in between cities. So in that sense, apart from uh, transit, which also is a mode for, for cities, apart from transit, micromobility is a native of the city. So the question then, obviously from the very beginning, has been how big can mm-hmm. this market be? How big is demand for city travel? And uh, the way you begin that analysis is by thinking about how many people are in cities because people, uh, on average, have a certain number of trips they make per day. And this is consistent across the world. And um, and so, you know, we have to, you you can also take a population and divide it demographically into age groups and then decide, okay, the age group that is a working age is going to need to commute other ages might need to also travel, but perhaps a different way, um, and and perhaps less. But you you have you have ways of of taking a population number and boiling it down to a number of trips. And mm-hmm. using Marchetti's constant, you you boil it further into a a, a number of minutes and then a the number of kilometers. And that's that's kind of the the top down analysis of the market for transportation. I've been sort of pondering this and then giving some ideas on this for for some time and including at the at the micromobility uh summit in uh well back in copenhagen and then micromobility conference in 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 january this year and we will continue the discussion in micromobility conference berlin in october so by the way make sure you get your tickets for that yeah (laughs) (laughs) um we we have to plug that it's it's coming soon and um don't wait till the last minute prices always go up so um the thing about the micromobility uh, thesis then has been that as an urban environment, uh, as an urban mode, we have to have a, a size opportunity of this, uh, of this and, and then figure out how to divide it further into segments. So that would be, okay, what about smallest distances, medium distances, and larger distances? Now, I, when, I lo- when I talked in, in, in January, I gave this sort of projection from the United Nations that we would all, you know, there would be 6.7 billion people in cities by 2050, and how that curve has been very monotonically increasing. Uh, it's been it's been a, a process. I, the way I said it in the conference explicitly, I said it's it's a process that's been going on for as long as we've had cities. It's not a pro, it's not a phenomenon of the last fifty years. It's not a phenomenon of the last century. It's not a phenomenon of the industrialization uh, era of industrialization, which is about two hundred years. It's a phenomenon of all ages, and in fact, well, uh, as long as we've had cities, we've seen more and more people move to them. It's also a great proxy for many other things. It used to be that if you wanted, uh, if you wanted to measure the wealth of a nation and you didn't have GDP data from back in the Middle Ages, for example, you could approximate it by looking at the size of a city in that, in that, uh, in that area. So... Uh, the, the urbanization of the Netherlands, the urbanization of Italy, were indicators of the wealth of those two countries 
relative to their uh, to their peers. So if you didn't have if you didn't have urbanization in, in, in France, it's most likely that France was poor. And to the degree that it did urbanize is how it got rich. So today, when we see urbanization globally, what we're seeing is people moving into the middle class. These are not coincidental. These are actually very much causal. The, 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 part, the, the, the uh, building of wealth and the building of, of personal net worth in families, in, in households, is, mm -hmm. is entirely related to whether they begin to move into urbanizations uh, or conurbations. Sorry. And, and so this, this process, wealth creation, industrialization, and urbanization are highly, highly correlated. And I would mm -hmm. argue very much causing one another. So w this leads us to, to, to fundamental question. Yes, we have a big number at the end of 2050, but how about being more precise? So what I've, been, what I've hoped to do is to be able to tell people in different places in the world and say, this is what's going to happen in your locale. This is what's going to happen in your city and, um, and be more precise about it. The trouble has always been in my mind. It's like, how many cities are there? How many towns even? And uh, I've got some, some sort of <laughs> rough estimates out there over the years. One is mm -hmm. that, um, you know, Europe has, for example, about 50,000 towns and cities, and the U.S. has about an equal number. So, so already between those two, you have something like 100,000 towns and cities. And that doesn't include all of Asia or Africa or South America, so what, how do we even cope? And what's the threshold for a town in, uh, in Europe or, or the U.S.? Threshold is, that's the problem. No one right quite agrees on that. So, so I felt that the problem was intractable. I could not give a, a simple answer to anybody who asked, well, what does this mean for me as a Wellingtonian, as a, as a you know, Pittsburgher? Uh, what does it mean for me as a as a Muscovite or or wherever you might live? And 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 the problem was that I felt that it was mission impossible to really try to get a handle on the hundreds of thousands of towns in the world. But UN came to the rescue. I dug into the UN data that I cited initially, which is a very aggregate data. So I said the, the global urban population. They also give it as a global, as, as sort of as a national or country level. Uh, urbanization number. So this is how many people will be in each of these countries. That other, that's not as, as, as specific as I'd like because I'd like to look at towns. But they, but when I'm digging into the data, I saw that they actually did break it into cities at some point if you find the, the right database. And the cities, though, are defined as a threshold of larger places and, and not small towns. This is only cities. And their definition is that to be included in a database, you had to have been 300,000 inhabitants before, I mean, at, during uh, or at 1985, I think. Right. Uh, okay. some, sometime in the past. At, at, at that moment, they, they said, okay, we're going to count only these cities that were at least 300,000 people. Now, 300,000 may seem, let's, let's get a number, let's get a, a, an image in our heads about that. 300,000 may seem to some big and some small. The, 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 the way I think of it is, 300,000 is about half of Helsinki, which is a capital city. 300,000 is about a bit more, actually, than, than the size 
of Reykjavik, which is probably the smallest, I'm going to guess, the smallest capital in Europe. So the capital city of Iceland, Reykjavik, is about 250,000 people. So that would not have made the cut. So some people would say, well, well you know, that's the capital city of a country, but that happens to be a very, not a very populated country. Um, but, but that's one way to think about it. In 300,000 threshold, it, it's, it's not particularly small and it's not particularly big. I rather think it's a good, good cutoff. Um, of course, and so just to clarify, city, so, so if mm -hmm. a city was, didn't exist, uh, in the, in the, at sub, you know, at sub 300,000, it's not included in the data that you're just about to talk about. Yeah. Pre-1985, uh, 300,000 people is the cutoff. So the total number of cities, therefore, that were that size in 1985 is about 1865, I believe, 1865. So that's a substantial number. It's not hundreds of thousands. It's not even tens of thousands, but it's more than a couple of hundred. So this is, this is what I began with. And the data spans historically. So there's a few more caveats. One, it begins in 1950. So they go, they go back to 1950 and they go forward to 2035. Not ideal in terms of going all the way to 2050, which is we have country data to 2050. We only have city data to 2035. The next problem is that the definition of the boundary of a town is, is, is problematic because, again, towns and cities are somewhat, you know, they are defined geographically, they are defined politically as in the, what is the technical boundaries, and then there are, of course, suburbs and, and adjacent places, which normally people think of as being part of the same place. So, for example, in, in the case of New York here, they actually do include... Uh, Jersey City, uh, so so it, it's kind of the, the what they call the conurbation of New York. So these are these are within some boundary, and I, I haven't read. They actually have notes. There are hundreds of notes on these cities. I haven't read them, and I, 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 you know it's interesting to dig into what they assumed belongs or doesn't belong to that one uh, metropolitan area. But nonetheless, th th that's what the uh, that's what I started with, and I started to dig into this data set to try to pivot it and visualize it, and, and for the purpose again of of understanding what the market opportunity is for micro. So let's then let's then reiterate this analysis would give us an idea of how many uh, large cities, uh, how many large cities there are, how many large cities uh, are. are today in, in, you know, our, you know, population today, plus the population in about 16 years. And then we can also maybe look in the past to see if this trends. As a result, by the way, one thing is that it doesn't mean that once you calculate the demand for these cities, you're done, because of course, anything below 300,000 uh, back in the 80s, which today may be much bigger, but all yeah. those small towns are still going to be very interesting. I'm sure there's plenty of operators who will say, oh, I'll, I'll be happy with a city of 100,000. I'll be happy to provide them with, with, with micromobility. In fact, it's been pointed out to me that, that uh, in many cases, micromobility is very attractive to a small town, more so than even a big town. Uh, yes. but, but, so I think it's going to scale down to these hundreds of thousands of cities. But at least when we, when we speak to people and try to give them a perspective they can relate to 
that's where the, 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 the notion of the city construct, the big city construct, that is where a lot of people will want to, uh, we, we, we want to visualize and, 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 and apply the, the, you know, a filter of, of kind of how big this is. So, um, so, so let me, the way that what we're going to do for October for the, for the conference is introduce some of this research, uh, some of the results and some of the visualizations, uh, in, in a, in a hopefully dynamic way and, and compelling way. Um, but if I were to preview that a little bit, to give you some teasers about some of the more interesting outliers, maybe in the in the data set. So sure. um, yeah, no, very interesting. Also clarify as yeah. well um, that you you've got some of this data, and that's going to be coming out in a blog post this week, isn't it? We'll also do a summary in the blog post. Yes, and 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 it would be good to read that as you listen, or before, or after. Um, yep. Let me give you some ideas of, of some of the interesting um, uh, outliers here. Um, one is um, percent growth, and, and this, is, this is sort of interesting. Between now and 2035, um, let me, let me um, sort this data here uh, by percent growth. So the fastest growing city... <laughs> uh, you would never guess. Um, I would have said summer in Asia. Okay. Um, I'm actually going to tell you that, although these are some of these are not that big, but they are still b millions of people. Um, yep. Almost none of them are in Asia. Even in, I'm looking now at the top 20. Really? Okay. And this is in the last, what, so 25, 35 the, years, 35 years? Yeah, from 2019 to, to 2019 to 2035. In fact, hmm. the problem is that a lot of these cities um, you may not ever have heard of. The, the, <laughs> yeah. the, they're, they're, they're almost, so one you may have heard of is Dar es Salaam. And oh, that Dar es Salaam, yeah. Uh, yeah, in Tanzania. And that one, as a population, will be um, 13.3 million people. So a megacity. A megacity is about 10 million or more. And, and so um, that's going to be a megacity in 2029. But it's, it's going to expand to even 13.3 million. And that's a growth of 110%. Well, and the thing all that I these... found um, really, really fascinating just in a, in a recent talk, which I'll also link to from a, a, an investor called Jeremy Grantham, is that of the population growth that we are going to see between now and 2050, only about 500 million comes from the rest of the world. Out of the sort of, if we go to 9 billion from a population of 7, only about 500 million comes from the rest of the world. Almost all of that population growth comes from Africa. Possibly, but the urbanization of Africa is, is tremendous because it is so rural today relative to the rest of the world. So mm. that's they're going to be catching up a lot. And um, just these are cities in in Burundi, Niger, Congo, Tanzania, Uganda, Nigeria. All of those countries, these are all growing over a hundred percent. So these are these are uh, cities that. Um, you know, I'm looking at fastest growing cities. There's about 28 that are going to be growing over 100%. That means doubling between now and 2035. And again, they're mm. all in Africa. 
So that was one interesting observation. Another observation is the biggest city in the world as far as uh, what it is today and what it will be. So if you, if you look at uh, 2019, the most populous city in the world is Tokyo. And this is, of course, the Tokyo area, which is at mm-hmm. 37, 37.4 million. Um, but it's not going to be the most populous in 2035. In 2035, number one will be Delhi. Delhi will be 43 million people. And, and the interesting thing is that Tokyo will actually shrink to 36 million. And this is another, another thing that came out of the data is that there are, there are significant areas of the world which are actually going to see contraction and the cities are going to be a little bit smaller. Not as much as to offset the, the, the increases in other places, but there are, there are, there are these uh, contractions also going to happen. But of the largest cities in 2035, uh, the, they are still mostly in Asia. Again, the, the fastest growing will be Africa, but the largest overall will be, uh, will be in Asia, except mm. for one, which is in the Middle East. And this surprised me as well. The sixth largest city will be Egypt, will be, in, will be Cairo in Egypt with 28 mm. million people. And I was very surprised just how big these numbers are. Now, let's say top uh, 50 or 60 country, uh, cities at the time will be, let's pick everything that's a mega city. So mega cities, again, are over 10 million. The yep. total number in 2035 will be 48. So 48 cities will be above 10 million. And um, the total population of those will be 862 million. So almost a billion people will be in the top. Actually, I think the, a billion exactly comes around 64. So those all together will be 1 billion people. So think about that uh, 1 billion people in 64 cities. Now, mm-hmm. again, I don't want to say that there's one big story here. There's many, many big stories. But what I wanted to focus on now is, is that... It's one thing to say, oh, wow, ooh, ah, look at these big numbers. Look at all these people. How are they going to be fed? How much energy are they going to consume? The fact of the matter is that the incremental increase in, in city populations cannot be met with an incremental increase in automobile populations, mainly because when you look at these particular cities that are growing so fast, you realize these are people who don't have a lot of money. And this was true also in the urbanization of the West. The people who mm. went to cities early on, if you look at New York, New York's tremendous explosive growth during the, the waves of immigration that came in as well known, the Italian, the Irish, uh, subsequent, uh, uh, you know, Puerto Rico and, and Dominican Republic. These are waves of immigration. And none of those people who came to, uh, to populate New York as immigrants were wealthy. Um, none of the people who migrated to London during the early part of the, of the Industrial Revolution were wealthy. None of the people that uh, uh, you know, uh, created cities in China in the, in the last 25, 30 years who, who migrated again to, to work in cities those were also 
uh, uh, poor people. So the nature of the growth that we're seeing is, is that they're joining the ranks of the middle, in, middle uh, classes, but they're coming from a low level and gaining a, a leg up. And that's the thing about th- those folks is that they're not going to be able to afford the expense of a car, including the, the rising costs in cities of parking, the rising costs of fuel, the rising costs of congestion, the rising costs of uh, uh, of maintenance and other things that are incredibly high already. So the mm-hmm. the the point about these new urbanites is that uh, they'll be facing a bill for the car that they won't want to pay. They'll also be um, willing to tolerate a a less luxurious type of uh, uh, of transport. So a lot of the complaints about about micromobility is that it's not good enough compared to sitting in an SUV. Well, yes. those who have nothing will surely uh, enjoy having something. And that's my expectation of, of, of the newly joined ranks of, of the urbanites of the next 15 years. And again, this is not a huge amount of time. We're talking about 2035, 16 years from now. It's, it's within conceivable range of planning it's conceivable that uh and and some planning will go way beyond that so if you're a city planner you're looking at at much further horizons the the a lot of these cities that are going to grow are not even going to be planned they'll be ad hoc growth and uh maybe there'll be slums but but it'll be it'll be somewhat much less much less uh, organized and so i think within this growth we will see lots and lots of innovation and uh the the modalities that will begin to show up uh if you if you study india if you study parts of asia like uh, let's say uh indonesia vietnam uh malaysia you'll see local innovations you'll see people taking to scooters you'll see in that and i mean mopeds as well as as not the stand-up ones, but the sit-down scooters. You'll see a mm-hmm. lot of two-wheeler type of transport. And so this is why the focus of micromobility, I'm, I would like to put in people's minds, therefore, is to focus on the low end, not just on the vehicle size, but also low end in terms of income, low end in terms of expectations, low end in terms of the economics and the people who are who are joining this uh, as customers are not the wealthy, and and this is somewhat in contradiction to what we're hearing about the early adopters of micromobility in Western countries. We're hearing mm. that the demographics are young, uh, affluent, typically male uh, uh, riders of scooters. When I think the next fifteen years, we're going to see billions of people. And I'm not exaggerating, but really billions of people who will take to micromobility, who will be uh, uh, middle-aged women, children, who will need to sort out getting around cities. Um, one, one point I also want to bring up, and it's a little bit of, a, of a, an issue with me, and, and I heard this from a good friend, Steve Crandall. Yeah. Um, so, so, so he pointed out an interesting fact. He's a genius. He, he's a Ph.D., uh, from Caltech in physics, and he knows things that everybody should know, but few do. And one of the things he said is that as you get older, you lose a lot of your sense of balance. And and 
he said above the age of 50, for example, it's very difficult to stand up on one leg with your eyes closed for more than 30 seconds. And I was like, holy cow, well, I'm actually going to try this. And I did. And I actually managed to do it well beyond a minute. Um, but the, the point is that not, you know, a lot of people as they age will have difficulty with vehicles requiring balancing. In particular, Steve said that you have no business on, a, on an e-scooter if you can't stand up on one leg for 30 seconds with your eyes mm. closed. That was his point of view. But again, I, I, worry about, uh, I worry about these demographics. I worry about the age of people. And I, what I'm saying is that, again, equating micromobility with a tandem two-wheel, tiny-wheel scooter is not, uh, is not enough. It's not appropriate. You need to think about all these vehicle types that are going to emerge. And I'm talking about tuk-tuks. I'm talking about uh, electric uh, uh, four-wheelers that are, you know, microcars. And, and that's why I've been on, going on and on about the fact that electrified micro vehicles does not mean just scooters. Scooters are very interesting, but they're, mm -hmm. they're one of a big spectrum. So let's be, let's be mindful of that. Um, so these people, if you imagine, so if you're trying to see in your head, okay, a billion people in Africa going into cities, going zipping on on scooters, don't stop right there. A lot of these modes that will come into use in Africa, I think, will be uh, indigenous. They'll be very clever. They'll probably be uh, uh, bigger wheels. Obviously, they'll be off-road capable. Um, the, here's the thing: in, in Africa, you see people using uh, these, these, uh, minivans, um, and the minivans are used as buses really. And, sure. um, and there, there's a, there's a sort of an indigenous kind of, uh, ride sharing going on where it's, it's a hybrid between an Uber and a bus service, right? So it's very unique to that part of the world. And, and in India, you have a unique uh, modality in the form of tuk-tuks. Uh, and in Vietnam and Taiwan, you have a lot of mopeds. So a lot of this is because they're adapting to local conditions and regulations, and I think we'll see something like that emerging as well in, in Africa. So I would say there is probably not a one-size-fits-all for micromobility across the world. But bearing in mind, I'd like, you know, I'd like the audience to think about, uh, about this, this notion that maybe, maybe you should be thinking about micromobility not as, as a solution for the wealthy cities, and uh, the Western world, but rather a solution for the developing or the emerging uh, economies. That's what I'm hoping to to uh, to convey with this data. It is very compelling. Absolutely, when you, I have, when you I have one, um, one 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 interesting counterpoint here, which is, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of Asia where uh, gas-powered mopeds are a thing. I mean, like that's the predominant form of transportation in Indonesia. Um, especially because the traffic's really bad. So they've already adapted in many ways. I mean, I know it's incredibly popular in India. Why are we not... Li why is micromobility likely to overtake gas-powered two-wheelers in many of these markets? Because at the moment, the cost difference is high. You know, it's maybe three, four hundred dollars for a gas scooter where it would be a thousand dollars for the, an electric version at the moment. Well, not, not necessarily. It depends on the, on the, on the power, uh, on the type of battery. So in China, there's been a huge explosion in so-called e-bikes, which are actually uh, electric uh, mopeds. 
And these mopeds are actually with lead-acid batteries. And there's been tens and tens of millions. You can buy these in the supermarkets. You, you, you know, the pricing is, is uh, you know, in the hundreds, that low hundreds, like two, three hundred dollars will get you essentially a sit-down moped with, an, with a battery in it. And it, it's, uh, it, you know, and then you have these, these uh, so-called rural vehicles, which are four-wheeled equivalents of that. So, again, lead-acid battery with the four wheels and the roof, and, and these are low-speed electric vehicles, or LSEVs. So China has actually demonstrated, now it could be because of regulation, it could be because of the way, uh, the way uh, two-stroke engines are banned or, 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 or well, restricted. Yeah, they were banned way. in the early 2000s, which is why, it was such so, a, why China was such an interesting place, because they, they, they did it for air pollution back in... Exactly, really? and and, and so all that has to happen is the stroke of a pen, and and the supply chains will emerge to feed these markets. Europe has done a similar thing, where two-stroke is also out of the sort of being deprecated. Uh, moped sales have uh, have declined precipitously, and this is 50cc type mopeds. They're also excluded from bike lanes. Uh, they used to be allowed, no, now no longer, and so you you have this transition into e-bikes. So in, the, in, in, in Europe, e-bikes are taking a lot of the roles that, that uh, mopeds used to, used to have. Um, and China, again, similar pa- pattern. So I don't see why in, in countries, in Taiwan, by the way, the, the huge, a lot more you know, wealth there, but you, you have a, a huge population of two-wheeled uh, sit-down scooters as well. And, and those are migrating to electric. Gogoro came from there. Uh, they, 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 when they started, they had to figure out the battery problem, and they, they went with this solution where they're swappable, and then they're, you can get them in kiosks and, and deal with that issue as a, as a kind of an infrastructure question. Um, mm-hmm. And there'll be solutions. India is also banning tuk-tuks that are on you know, uh, gasoline or, or, or um, uh, yeah, two-stroke or four, I don't know, but generally yeah, th- th- those are being... To CNG. Yeah, compressed natural yeah. gas. So, so we're seeing already movements in this direction on on the basis of of improving air quality, reducing noise, a lot of other benefits. And um, initially, yes, there seemed to be a cost differential, but but now mopeds, very capable electric mopeds are are, are available under uh, I'm going to guess a little bit, but under probably two thousand dollars, and probably soon under one thousand uh, dollars. And and so there's no. I don't see a problem with that. It's it's a it's a commodity that will eventually be approachable by a larger uh, you know a larger uh, population. But uh, th- then the problem is again from a, the micromobility logic isn't just the, the vehicle. It's also the question of how it's how it's utilized and how it's shared. And so my expectation would be that there'll be business model innovation, not just having these be personally owned, but having them on demand. And we'll see uh, a significant growth of those alternatives in these poorer countries. Right now, it's, w- the really interesting question is well, we haven't, why we haven't seen uh, this type of sharing networks in, uh, in, in these poorer countries and everybody's running off into, into uh, uh, high net worth countries. What I would argue is that uh, we have semblance of ride sharing happening in all of these economies we have very very interesting even moped based uh ride sharing 
the, these countries have so much congestion that this is the fastest way through town. And because we have the, the summoning of a ride through your app on your phone, by mm-hmm. the way, you also need a high, a high number of people having smartphones, and that's happening. Uh, but as soon as we get this sorted out, I think we'll have the on-demand stuff. So anyway, the, I think that there's evidence that it's happening, and, and the, they'll all have their S-curves. They'll all be picking up at some point, and we'll see how that evolves. I'd love to study this more in detail because now with 1,800 cities, we can start to dive in and we can start to think about, okay, India is a universe in itself. Okay, Each mm. city in India is massive. We can start to ask the questions locally. We can ask the questions in South America. We can ask them in Africa. And you can start to ask exactly these. Well, what is unique about this, 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 uh, this city? Uh, top- topography, uh, uh, demography, uh, legislative, uh, for example, Cairo. So how do you get your head around Cairo or Istanbul? Cairo is a city uh, I haven't been to. I'd love to see it. But what I'm told is that there's, there's, they're, they're, they're busting out the seams. So there's, there's just not enough land for all the people that are moving in there. And what they're doing is they're creating sort of a, a, a satellite city in the desert. It's a new community in the middle of nowhere, the same way that Dubai grew in the middle of nowhere, and mm-hmm. um, and 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 it, you know, I think the the example of Dubai energized a lot of the Middle East into saying, "Hey, we can do this in Saudi Arabia, we can do this in Egypt, and we can we can now house and 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 build these oases in the desert with the technologies we have today." Now, if you were to plan the city from the get-go today, I think you want to plan it with micro in mind. To the extent that mm-hmm. it isn't done right, that way, then you're going to have a problem. You're going to definitely have a problem with uh, with sustainability going uh, down the line. So uh, Kuala Lumpur is facing this question as well. It's like, how do we house people? And instead of doing it in an ad hoc manner, can we can we just actually create a whole new city? Kind of leave the old one behind. Don't try to fix it, but or or you know let that grow. But Organically, but let's let's do something more deliberate in a, in a different location and and uh, connect those two. The uh, even Delhi, that's cited mm-hmm. as again the most the, the biggest city in the world and the fastest one of the fastest growing places in the world. It's actually an amalgamation of multiple cities, and so so it's going to be hard to get your head around all of it. The same way it's hard to get your head around Los Angeles, which is a you know a, a huge uh, basin of multiple multiple communities which which you know you can you can only traverse in hours of driving so mm. that, that that's the question you know you can't talk about 43 million people how many new zealands is that how many finlands is that right it's a huge number i can't quite picture in my mind a city of 43 million but even so then to think about that as how how it's served you probably need to divide and conquer the problem you'll need to slice it up and look at it from different angles so anyway, some anecdotal stuff here, but just wanting to to put it out there as kind of the types of the type of thinking you need to have if you're if you're if you're both if you're a micro mobility operator interested in the technology, I would say cast the net pretty wide. Don't just mm. think of hey, we can cover North America and, and and Western Europe and we're done. That's that well, is. Well, I think that's really fair. I think. Um... If there are any, if there are any listeners to the show who happen to have connections into 
uh, India or, or Africa um, uh, micromobility operators or people selling e-bikes or anything like that, I'd love to hear from you. Um, we've been trying to find some, some folks to get on the show to, um, to, un, uh, to un, unpack that because I think there's... Yeah, I think we, we, we're probably a little too focused on uh, on America and Europe, um, whereas all of the exciting stuff is likely to come not from there. And the one that, another interesting thing I did was I try to take these cities, and I, I have the population growth, I have the population uh, quantity from a certain historic perspective as well, but I wanted to look at the, what is the car ownership rate in some of these cities? Because as I said, some of the most interesting places are are Kinshasa and Lagos and mm. Karachi in Pakistan or or uh, you know Manila in the Philippines. Manila is going to be a monster, by the way. It's going to be like uh, 20 million people there. Um, but then I don't have a good sense of these places. These aren't places that I visited. So you know when you think about them and you, and and then do they are they filled with freeways are they filled with boulevards are they filled with with alleyways what do they look like on the on the ground and what i what i also want to think about is how many people in those these bustling towns cities are are you know already have cars and so what i did is a correlation and i i'm still working on it but but looking at the at the uh country level uh, motorization rate, which means the number of cars per capita, and looking a, at a plot so showing the projected growth versus how many people uh, have cars. And so what's interesting is that it's an inverse relationship. In other words, the the fewer the cars in that country, the more cities that are really fast growing. And, and the the highest concentrations of uh, of car ownership, we'll see some of the lowest growth. Uh, so th this is consistent with the theory that hey, not only is is micromobility about cities, but it's it's actually it's actually the most obvious solution for places which uh, uh, which are growing the fastest. Because you can always argue that okay, well these people will get cars, but in fact. The, the, firstly, they, they have to have the money for it. Secondly, they have to have the infrastructure for them. And thirdly, the, they, they have to have the patience and tolerance to keep, you know, to manage getting around with such an inefficient mode, right? Such a big mode that takes so much room and, and is so slow ultimately. And, um, and so that's why I, I'm still looking at this uh, city growth versus car use and making a hypothesis around that. There are some... Um, some American, the only one, the highest is America with, with uh, over 80 cars per 100 people. And there are some cities that are grow, growing there as well. And then maybe the U.S. is always an exception. Generally, the trend goes down until the U.S., which kind of pops up a bit higher than, than the rest of the developed world, both in terms of population growth and in terms of car ownership. But that's, again, that's the anomaly we need to deal with separately. Generally, the, the pattern is pretty clear. Anyway, there's, there's that. So, um, hmm. No, so fascinating. Well, look, this is, um, this is great. Good fodder for, uh, for, for us as we lead into, uh, into Micromobility Berlin. Um, and looking forward to, to linking the uh, uh, blog post so that people can see what this looks like visualized. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks very much. Talk to everybody soon. Thanks, Horace.